Welcome to the Disciple Dare, a four-week series to challenge you to discover what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. More info on the Disciple Dare can be found at ViennaSDA.org. Pastor Jennifer Deans shows you through stories from the Bible how living the dare will give you hope in troubled times and joy in life in this message, At the Tomb. Jesus was hanging out with his disciples, something he did on a regular basis. There he's hanging out with them, and as he's hanging out with them, somebody comes running up, and they run up and they say, Jesus, you'll never guess, you have to come. Martha, Mary, they sent me to tell you. And Jesus is like, calm down. He's like, no, they told me to tell you that the one you love is sick. He's really sick, Jesus. You should have seen Lazarus. I, I, he's, I've never seen someone that sick. Jesus, you've got to come. Jesus says, okay, thank you for sharing with me. And then Jesus begins to hang out with his disciples. And the disciples are like, are, what, what's going on? Are we doing anything? Jesus just kind of brushes it off. A day passes. The disciples are talking. Maybe that Jesus isn't going back to see Lazarus because just a few days before, Jesus happened to be in Judea and he was talking to the, the people in the town and um, in the middle of his talk, they decided they wanted to stone him. And so they picked up rocks to stone him and then Jesus kind of disappeared and walked out of the crowd and they couldn't find him to stone him. So the disciples are thinking, maybe, maybe we're not going to see Lazarus because Jesus is scared that if he goes back to Judea, they'll stone him. Well, another day passes, and um, as the day passes, later on in the day, Jesus says, you know what? Lazarus is sleeping. The disciples are like, cool, when did a messenger come? We didn't get that message. And that is awesome. If Lazarus is sleeping, that means he's going to get better. Because if, you know, if you can get a good night's sleep and you're that sick, it is a good thing. And so the disciples are high-fiving each other. Yay, they all liked Lazarus. They wanted him to be alive. And Jesus is like, no, no. Lazarus is dead. What? You, you just said he was sleeping. And Jesus is like, Lazarus is dead. We're going we're gonna to go see him. What? He's already dead, Jesus. Why would you want to go back? They're going to stone you. And Jesus is like, listen, there's 12 hours of daylight in a day. During the 12 hours of daylight, you're safe. You're not going to get robbed. It's during the night. And they're like, what are you talking about, Jesus? We have no idea what you're talking about. Jesus is like, let's go. And so Thomas pipes up. Well, if he's going to go kill himself, we might as well kill ourselves with him. So let's all go. And so the disciples are like, what is Jesus doing? And they follow him, and they're heading to Judea, where, where Lazarus is dead. And word gets ahead of Jesus, and Martha finds out that Jesus is on his way. And so immediately, she leaves where she's at, and she goes running down the road to meet him, and she sees him and she falls on her face and she says, Jesus, if you had only been here, why weren't you here? If you had only been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. And Jesus says, Martha, don't you know that I'm the resurrection and the life? Your brother will rise again. Yes, I know he's going to rise again, Jesus. He's going to rise again in the end days when everybody else is raised from the dead. I know that, but now we don't get to have him for the rest of life and he was so young, he shouldn't have died. And Jesus is like, no, listen, Martha, do you understand what I'm talking about? The resurrection and the life, 
your brother will rise again. Martha, do you believe me? Yes, Jesus, I've always believed you are the Messiah. I've always believed it, and I've always known it. And with that, the conversation seems to end, and Martha turns around, and she runs back home, and she goes and she whispers in Mary's ear. And Mary is the baby, and she's just devastated by her brother's death. And she whispers in her ear, Jesus is here. And so Mary gets up quickly and follows after Martha. She's going to see Jesus. She's got to talk to him. Well, everyone who'd been there mourning with Mary, spending time taking care of her, sees her getting up, and they think, ah, Mary and Martha must be going to the tomb to pay some respects. And so the whole entire crowd follows Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha are walking fast, and so everybody else is walking fast. It's not the usual funeral procession, but it is what's happening today. And... Mary gets to Jesus, and she cries out, Jesus, if you had been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. And he says, Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. And then in the background, Jesus hears some stuff happening. He hears people saying, this man healed people? Didn't he care about this guy? I thought they were good friends. He could have come and raised him back from the dead. And as Jesus is hearing all these little things, Jesus starts getting angry, and his blood starts to boil just a little bit, and he goes, "Uh, where is the tomb? Take me to the tomb. We've got to go to the tomb. And so Mary and Martha, thinking that Jesus is wanting to pay respects, they, they say, Jesus, it's this way. And as they're leading Jesus, they get to the tomb, and Jesus stops there, and the discussions are still going on behind his head. I, I heard that this guy, you know, I heard this guy, you know, healed the lame. I heard this guy did all sorts of things. Why didn't he come for Lazarus? And Jesus at this time is just getting really frustrated. And he says, roll back the stone. And um, Mary and Martha wanting to help Jesus out a little bit. Maybe he doesn't understand how this works. Jesus, um, Lazarus has been in there four days it's going to smell really bad. You don't want to roll the stone away. And Jesus says, roll the stone away. And so some strong men are like, man, that guy's a nut job. And they go and they're rolling the stone away all while they're trying to hold their breath. And just as the stone gets past the entrance of the tomb, Jesus looks up and says, Father, I know that you hear me and I know that you love me, but I'm saying it out loud for the benefit of everybody here. Lazarus, come forth. And with that, there's a commotion. And people are like, what's going on? What's in the tomb? Is an animal in there? Did an animal get trapped? That poor animal, it's got to have been in there. Oh, this is just bad. And as they're watching, as they're looking, slowly this figure wrapped in grave clothes, starts hopping its way out. And they're like, it's Lazarus, he's alive, he's alive. And they're just standing there and everybody's looking and Jesus is like, go help him out. (laughs) Take the stuff off him so he can see, so he can move. Lazarus was dead. Now he's alive. And after that, some people believed in Jesus because of what they saw. And some people didn't. Our topic tonight is death. What happens to us when we die? What does the Bible say? There's a lot of things that people think about death. 
what happens. There's a lot of thoughts. When we die, we go to heaven. When we die, we go to hell. Or if you're not quite good enough to go to heaven or hell, you die, you go to purgatory, where you can work as hard as you possibly can so that you can get into heaven. Um, What does the Bible teach about death? As we're looking at the story of Lazarus, um, it's very interesting to me because the Bible tells us on a number of occasions that Lazarus, Mary, and Martha were kind of like Jesus' home base. It was kind of like home for him. He would go there and he'd spend time and he'd hang out with them. It was kind of like family. That's where he would go when he needed a break. And so just thinking about this, why in the world did Jesus not go when he heard this awesome guy, like a brother, one of his closest friends, was sick? Was he scared of the Pharisees? What was going on? Turn with me to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, page 872. John chapter 11. John chapter 11. We're going to read verse 15. 14 and 15. John chapter 11, 14 and 15, it says, So he told them plainly, Jesus is talking, it's in the red, Lazarus is dead. For your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. Now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. So Jesus starts out, For your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. So Jesus, the one thing I love about Jesus is he had a purpose for everything he did. He didn't just do something because. He, he was very intentional. He had a sense of a mission that God was calling him to do stuff. And he kind of knew that he needed to get places and do stuff. And he did things with a purpose. So Jesus starts out with saying, I'm glad I wasn't there. I'm glad my friend died. Now is this because they'd had an argument and Jesus was just kind of irritated with Lazarus? The Bible doesn't lend us to believe that in any way, shape, or form. There's some other reason why Jesus is glad he wasn't there. If you look down to verse 21, it says, this is when Martha is talking to Jesus. She says, Martha, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus tells her in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus is going, instead of doing what we typically do at a funeral, I'm so sorry, he was such a great person. We're going to miss him so terribly. Jesus, he, he goes with a totally different approach. He has a purpose. He goes and he tells her, instead of, I'm sorry about Lazarus, you know, I, I was... I couldn't get here. It was busy. He doesn't make excuses. He doesn't say anything. When she says, if you'd been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. He was like, it's okay if Lazarus died. I'm the resurrection and the life. And she doesn't seem to understand what he's talking about. Yeah, God, I know that you can raise him up in the end time. Jesus is like, no. He will rise again. A very similar conversation happens with Mary. Jesus had a purpose for what he was doing. He wanted people to see that he was the resurrection and the life. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 1, page 1008. Revelation chapter 1. It tells us a little description about Jesus. Revelation chapter Revelation chapter 1 verse 18. 
It says, I am the living one. I died. But look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. This is a description of Jesus. Jesus hadn't died yet when he's talking to Lazarus, but he still holds the keys of the grave. And he wanted to show that he hold, um, held those keys. So, let's think about this story from a few different angles. Lazarus, he's died. He has died, and according to John, it says that when Jesus wanted to roll the stone away, he'd been in the tomb for four days, which means he really stinks. Where was Lazarus when he was dead? What was he doing? What was, he, was he up in heaven and hanging out with the angels? If so, it was a really cruel joke for Jesus to resurrect him and bring him back to life here on this earth. Or maybe he was in hell, and so it was a really cool thing that God brought him back to life and he's here on the earth. Maybe he was in purgatory and he was working something off. So again, you know, come back and have opportunity to do it right. So this time I don't have to go to back to purgatory. Where was Lazarus? What does the Bible teach us about what happens when we die? Where are our loved ones, those that we love to have died? Are they up in heaven looking down at us? Um, there's a lot of people who talk about having an immortal soul, that our souls, when we die, our souls go back up to heaven or they go somewhere else. What does the Bible teach us about an immortal soul? Let's look in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, page 4. Genesis chapter 2, page, uh, page 4. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. It says, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. So this is how we were created. So what does it take in order for a man to become a living person? The breath of God plus what? The dust of the ground. So it takes, if we're going to do a simple math problem, the dust of the ground plus the breath of God equals a living person. Now, in some translations, um, it doesn't say a living person. That verse actually says a living soul. And people think, oh, well, it says a living soul, and so we have a soul. And actually, the word for breath can sometimes be translated soul. It's pneuma, it's wind, it's spirits. Um, so there's a lot of confusion about what this means. But if we see, if we take a simple math problem, if it takes dust plus breath to equal a living soul, if I take away either the breath or the dust, do I have a living soul? No, there's something that is not quite adding up. John chapter 11, verse 39, says that the Jews in that day seemed to believe that um, when someone died, their body went back to dust because they're like, he stinks. We don't, we don't want to go there. We don't want to roll the, to the stone away because it's not going to be a fun experience for any of us. They seem to have that concept. The Bible uses the word soul. Does anybody know about how many times the Bible uses the word soul? The Bible uses the term soul about 1,600 times. You want to guess how many times the word immortal is connected with the word soul in the Bible. Zero. It's never, ever connected with the word 
immortal. Soul is never connected with the word immortal. It's used 1,600 times in the Bible. And so if God was trying to convey to us that we have an immortal soul, he probably would have connected the two at some point in time in the writing of the Bible. He used the term soul plenty of times. What does immortal mean, by the way? Here forever, unable to die, not perishing. Well, let's look at Matthew 16, verse 25, page 795. Matthew 16, um, verse 25, page 795. Matthew 16, verse 25. It says, If you hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? One of the things that Bible people would do in order to explain a concept is they would say it multiple times in different ways so that you could get the better concept. So let's look here. The first part of the sentence says, If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. All right, so we're talking about life. So if we're trying to hang on to our life, if we're trying to take care of it by ourselves, it's not going to work. Then Jesus says, what is the benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? So Jesus is explaining what he means by life, what he means by soul. They seem to be interchangeable terms. For Jesus, what is the benefit if we gain the whole world, but lose our life? lose our eternal life. Life and soul for Jesus seem to be interchangeable. And it makes sense when we look at the Genesis equation. Dust plus a breath equals a living being. If you take one of those away, it doesn't work. Let's look at what the Bible has to say about who's immortal and what, and what we are as human beings. Let's look in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15. That's page 972. 1 Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 19, verse 15, sorry. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 15. It's page 972. It says, For just at the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only almighty God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He alone never dies. He lives in light so bright that no human can approach him. No human eye has ever seen him, nor ever will. All honor and power are for him forever. Amen. So, this is a description of God the Father. What does it tell us at the beginning of verse 16 about God the Father? It says, he alone will never die. What is the definition of immortal? Never dying. So, if... God the Father is the only one who will never die. What does that say about us humans? Do do we fit into that category? No. So the Bible talks, never once puts the word soul or spirit in conjunction with immortal. And it goes on to say that the only person who is immortal is God the Father. Jesus was immortal, but he gave up that right when he came to live and die for us. So he died, but he has been given immortality back. So, what else does the Bible have to say about being immortal? Let's look at Romans chapter 2, verse 7, page 913. Romans chapter 2, verse 7. 
Romans chapter 2, verse 7. It says, He will give eternal life to those who keep doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those um, who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth, instead of live lives of wickedness. So this verse here in Romans tells us that God is offering us immortality. It's something that he will give us, but it's not something that we have currently. So that if we die and we don't have immortality, it means that we can't keep on living. There's nothing that happens after that. The immortality is something that God offers us. So what is the function? What, what happens to our soul that the Bible talks about? Where does it go? What happens to it? Um, what happens when we die? Look at Job chapter 9, verse 10. Um, we want to know where Lazarus was. What was he doing in the middle of all this? Job chapter 7, verse 9. Sorry, page 418. Job chapter 7. Job chapter 7, verse 9. It says, Just as a cloud dissipates and vanishes, those who die will never come back. They are gone forever from their homes, never to see them again. So Job is talking about, he's like, once you die, you never see your home here on earth again. You vanish, you dissipate into the air, nothing happens. So we're starting to get a sense of what happens to us at death. Um, what does Ecclesiastes tell us? Ecclesiastes chapter 12, page 544. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, page 544. This is um, Solomon talking, and he's the wisest man who ever lived. And it tells us, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7, We'll start in verse 6. He says, Yes, remember your creator now while you are young, before the silver cord of life snaps and the golden bowl is broken. Don't wait until the water jar is smashed at the springs and the pulley is broken at the well. For the dust will return to the earth and the spirit will return to God who gave it. So this verse can be a little confusing sometimes, but the word spirit is ruah in the Hebrew and it can be translated Wind, breath, dust, you know, not dust, spirit. And so what Solomon is saying is God's breath, his life-giving force goes back to him and our bodies go back to dust. How did Jesus explain it in the parable of Lazarus? Or not in the parable, in the story of Lazarus, John chapter 11. What is he doing? He's explaining something to his disciples. Jesus said that Lazarus was sleeping. Turn to John chapter 11. Um, verse 12. The disciples just found out that um, Lazarus was sick. John chapter 11, verse 12. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought that Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping. But Jesus meant that Lazarus had died. God, in the story of Lazarus, he is talking about something very specific. God wanted Lazarus to die for two reasons, because he wanted to be able to show the 
people then and show us now that he has the power of the resurrection and the life. He has control over the dead and the living. But he also wanted to show us what it means when we die. And he says, Lazarus is sleeping. Now, how many of you have you ever had gone to sleep and you woke up, someone's woke you up, your alarm clock's going off, and you're like, I just went to sleep. And you look over and it's been 12 hours later. You've, you've slept for a very long time. Um, what is that? Is that what we're talking about? Is that what Jesus is talking about? Well, let's look and see what the Bible has to say about how aware we are when we're dead. Okay, if we know anything. So look at Psalms chapter 146, page 510. Psalms chapter 146. Psalms 146. Psalms 146, and we're going to read verse 2. This tells us, Don't put your confidence in powerful people. There is no help for you there. Um, When they breathe their last, they return to the earth, and all of their plans die with them. So this tells us, um, the writer of this particular psalm says that it doesn't matter how powerful you are, how rich you are, you don't get to buy a longer existence. When you die, all your plans die with you. You can't continue to work unplanned. You can't continue to do anything else. So that's one step. Let's look back at Ecclesiastes chapter 9, page 542. 542, Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, page 542. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 5. It says, The living at least know that they will die, but the dead know what? Nothing. They have no further reward, nor are they remembered. Whatever they did in their lifetime, loving, hating, envying, is all gone. They no longer play a part in anything here on earth. So how much awareness and conscientiousness does the Bible tell us in Ecclesiastes someone has after they die? Zero, none. They're not doing anything. Turn to Job chapter 14. This one kind of amuses me. Job chapter 14. That's page 422. Job 14. Job 14, verse 20. And we're going to start um, a little bit into the verse. It says, You disfigure them in death and send them away. They never knew if their children grew up in honor or sink into insignificance. Now, if someone is in heaven looking down on the earth, wouldn't they know what's happening to their children? Wouldn't they know if they, they grew up in honor and there's something to be proud of? Or if... you'd rather not have known because now they're insignificant? Well, no, it doesn't seem to imply that anybody knows anything, so they don't know what's going on. Look one more over at Psalms chapter 115. Turn back to Psalms 115. Psalms 115, verse 17, page 497.
It says, The dead cannot sing praises to the Lord, for they have gone into the silence of the grave. All right, now let's think about this. If someone, if when you die, you go to heaven, and it tells us in Revelation over and over and over again that anybody who is in the presence of God is singing, Worthy is the Lamb, holy is the Lamb that was slain, worthy, 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 and that's all they're doing. And then Psalm tells us that the dead can't sing praises. Wouldn't it be a little odd for them to be in heaven? Because that's one of the things we're going to be doing in heaven. They can't sing praises because they're sleeping. When you're sleeping, you're not aware of what's going on. You don't know what's happening. And so what Jesus is telling us with the story of Lazarus, he wanted Lazarus to die because he wanted to share with us for all time what it is, what it means when we die. What is that? What is it all about? Well, some people ask, well, what about the thief on the cross? Um, Didn't Jesus say, I promise you today you'll be with me in paradise? What does that mean? What is that all about? Turn with me and we'll look at that. And that's in Luke chapter 23, verse 43. Luke chapter 23, verse 43. And that's page 858. Luke 23, verse 43. It tells us there in black and red. Luke chapter 43, verse 23. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. So doesn't that seem to imply that Jesus then took the thief to heaven right away? That his soul's up there even though he died? Well, let's let the Bible answer itself. So let's look a little further in the chapter to the end of Luke 24 to verse 54. This tells us, This was done late on Friday afternoon, the day of preparation. As the Sabbath was about to begin, his body was taken away, and the woman from Galilee followed and saw the tomb where his body was placed. Then they went home and prepared spices and ornaments to anoint his body. By the time they were finished, it was the Sabbath, and the Sabbath had begun. So they rested as required by the law. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went back to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and found the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So we find later on in Luke that Jesus dies on Friday. His body is in the tomb undisturbed all day Saturday. And then he's resurrected on Sunday. When the women get back to the tomb, they're looking for him. And then a little bit later in John, turn with me to John. It gives us a different part of the story. John chapter 20, page 880. John chapter 20, verse 15. Mary, um, Mary Magdalene, the same one we're talking about here in the story of Mary and Lazarus, she's got a special connection with Jesus. She's always loved him. And so when she, find, when she sees this, the stone has been rolled away, she, she goes looking for Jesus. And in verse 14, um, John chapter 20, it says, She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you had taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go go to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to the Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. So, If we put a few things together, Jesus tells us, he told the thief on the cross, promise you today you'll be with me in paradise. 
But then Jesus is taken down off the cross because he dies up there. And what happens to the other, the thieves on the cross? Do you know what happened to them? There's a prophecy that none of Jesus' bones would be broken. Um, The next day was Sabbath, so the Jews didn't want these bodies hanging up there on the Sabbath day. So that they they asked if the bodies could be taken down. But they needed to make sure that these guys were going to die, so they went and broke their legs. And then what they did is they took them off the cross and they threw them in the garbage pile. And they could live that way for a few hours. So we don't actually know when the thief died. Crucifixion could take up to a week to kill somebody. So we don't actually know when the thief died. Okay, so that's one thing we need to keep in mind. And then Jesus says, um, today you'll be with me in paradise. Well, if the thief, let's just say that he died the same day that Jesus died on Friday. If Jesus was on Friday in the tomb, on Saturday in the tomb, and on Sunday in the tomb, and then he tells Mary, don't touch me because I haven't gone up to heaven yet, I haven't gone to my father yet, isn't there a miscommunication? He just said, today you'll be with me in paradise. That would mean Friday he should have been in paradise with him, right? Well, it's a thing about punctuation. Punctuation wasn't added till the third or fourth century in the Bible. And so people went through the Bible and put punctuation in where they thought it seemed correct, where it seemed to fit their understanding of what the Bible was. But if we read that same passage a little different, I promise you today that you will be with me in paradise. It's just a promise that Jesus was making that day, and it's not a promise that that day he will be in paradise. So there's no contradiction with what's happening. In fact, later on in the Bible, it shows us very clearly that Jesus didn't ascend to heaven, and so therefore he couldn't have met them. And if we look at everything else the Bible has to say about death, it's very clear that death is asleep. In fact, in the Old Testament, and I was going to show you some of the verses, but the um, New Living Translation translated it just die. But there's over 53 times where kings died, and it says they went to sleep with their fathers. The word for sleep and death, it's interchangeable. And the New Living Translation didn't even put an asterisk on this one because it's just, it just means the same thing. But if you look at the original language, all through the Old Testament, the concept for dying is sleeping. It's not going to heaven. Never once does the Bible tell us that when we die, we go to heaven. And I believe that God in his love did that. How could it be a loving God if you had to go to heaven and you had to watch as your mom, your dad, your sisters, your kids were down here suffering? What if you saw one of them getting murdered? Would that be a loving thing if you couldn't interact, if you couldn't intervene? No, it certainly wouldn't be for me. You know, God promises... He tells us in John chapter 11 that he is the resurrection and the life. And we know that death is asleep. When we go to sleep in Jesus, that's the only thing we know. It's just like having a nice long sleep. And the next thing that people are going to know is the face of Jesus. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, page 995. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, page 995. I'm sorry, I'm dyslexic. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, page 965. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. 
It says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that um, Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will raise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are alive and still remain will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. What is being said in Thessalonians is such a beautiful promise. It's such a beautiful thing. God is saying, listen, I'm promising you that because Jesus died and he rose again on the resurrection and the life, I'm going to come back. And you know what's so beautiful? Those of us who are still alive, we're going to get to witness. We're going to get a witness coming up out of the ground all of those who loved Jesus and had died. And we're going to get to watch them as the first thing they see, the first thing they realize after being dead is the face of Jesus and that it's over. Sin is over. And the Bible promises us that that's what's happening. There is no heaven. There is no hell that people are in right now. There is no purgatory where people are working their way out. We only have this lifetime to make a decision and to make a choice. The Bible tells us that once we die, we sleep. Lazarus was one of the few people in the Bible that God gave a second chance at life here on this earth. Most of us don't get a resurrection back to this same life. But God promises us that we will all get a resurrection. The dead and the living alike will get a resurrection. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This promises us something, because I believe Jesus is coming soon. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55. It says, But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. Our bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? It is very clear here that there is going to be some of us alive when Jesus comes back, that we're never going to taste death, but even then, we are living in mortal bodies, bodies that are affected by the disease sin, that are imperfect. And so even then, before we can live forever, even without having died, the only humans that aren't going to have died can be the ones who are still alive when Jesus comes back. But they still need a transformation in order to live in an immortal body. And God says it's going to happen in the blink of an eye, in the twinkling of an eye. That's how fast it's going to happen. So if God has shown us very clearly in the Bible, and if he showed us in the story of Lazarus that death is asleep, 
and that we have to be transformed that the only person that is immortal is God the Father because Jesus gave up that. It is very clear in the Bible that when we die, we're not up in heaven looking down on loved ones, watching the good or the bad. We're not in hell and we're not in purgatory, but we are sleeping, resting in our graves, waiting for Jesus to come. The story of Lazarus has one more interesting thing that I just find so interesting. Turn to John chapter 11. It's the shortest verse of the Bible, John chapter 11. Does anybody know what it is? Jesus wept, John chapter 11, verse 35. Jesus is standing at the tomb, and he's standing there, and he cries. Why is it that Jesus cries? Do you think it's because he doesn't know if Lazarus will be resurrected? Do you think it's, what is it? There's one beautiful thing. Jesus cries because he cares about the people who are hurting. Not because he thinks that death is not going to be overcome in victory. Not because um, he's worried about Lazarus off somewhere in hell or purgatory or something else. He cries because he sees the very real and the genuine feelings of those who have been left behind by death. And the God that we love and the God we serve, when we lose someone in death, cries with us. Not because he doesn't have hope, but because he is there feeling our pain and he knows we're going to miss him. But like the Bible promises us, we don't have to mourn like people who have no hope because we have a hope of the resurrection and that Jesus is the resurrection and the life and there's nothing that we need to worry about. We know that our loved ones are sleeping in the grave. They don't know anything. They're not involved in anything. And the next thing they're going to see is Jesus coming back. The dare for you tonight is, do you believe that death is a deep sleep, that when you wake from it, you will see Jesus' face? Do you believe that there is no such thing as an immortal soul, only God's life-giving breath? Do you believe that Jesus has conquered death, therefore you have nothing to fear? This is a beautiful thing. Death is not something to be scared of. It's just something that may happen to all of us before Jesus returns. But the next thing we'll see is Jesus' face. You've been listening to The Disciple Dare from Pastor Jennifer Deans. We hope this message encouraged you as you learn to follow in Jesus' footsteps. If you'd like to learn more about how you can take the dare, drop by ViennaSDA.org. There you'll find resources to get connected to others like yourself and to help in your spiritual journey.